Peter Best. We got Peter Best with us today, continuing our series. We just had a show last night for his Defenders of the Faith book just came out. Thanks for doing this, Peter. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. So let's jump into it. How did you get started? Um, back when I was in high school, I used to, I was really into the punk and hardcore scene in uh, Houston, Texas, where I grew up. And I used to borrow my mom's cheap little $20 camera and photograph at the shows I was going to. Uh, photograph my friends and just the things going on in that world. And it wasn't really, I didn't really have artistic intentions at the time. I think it was more for memory's sake. So I've always had this kind of documentary. So what, you would be to, like, this is when you were like 14, 15? Uh, yeah, 15, 16. Yeah. And you were going to like hardcore, with this like, were you skater? Yeah, yeah never very good, a little bit. Sort of like. part of that part of that world, you know, kind of the... Big boys. Straight edge hardcore scene. Now after big boys, okay. uh, not... Yeah, sort of like the emo hardcore straight edge thing from, okay. you know, 95 to 99, I guess. Those years is when I was doing that. So, like I said, I used to document that. And then as I moved away from that scene, I started college and took my first photography class, which is when I had my first, like, official instruction. But from there, I continued this sort of, like, documentary type of vibe with my photos, you know, fly on the wall type of thing. and trying So you to were get going to these shows and you'd have a little, was it like a little point and shoot that you yeah, were Yeah, just for? a cheap little point and shoot camera and you know, and get my crappy prints at Walgreens done and make the photo albums and, and all this. Oh, and, that's cool. Yeah, it's actually on my mind lately because I'm um, re-editing some of this old stuff and I think it might release, a, you know, a zine or book in the next year or so of this old work. I mean, that's mind. the thing that's always, in the digital age, you kind of, when you, you're always seeing things on, like, the screen, it's nice to have the prints, scrapbooks and, and yeah. sketchbooks and everything. Yeah, I think people really uh, are, are sort of... Uh, thirsting for those tactile things you can touch and flip through, whether it's vinyl records or, you know, big, at least for me anyway, big, heavy photo books. I'd rather flip through that than just flip through like an Instagram feed personally. And then you went to university? Uh, yeah, I went to a small college in Austin, St. Edward's University, and studied photo communications was the official degree. Okay. And, so uh, what is that? That's kind of like phono, photojournalism? Yeah, basically. Um, photojournalism a little bit. I mean, this was, I finished back in 2001, so this is sort of a prehistoric, I mean, in terms of the technology today. But it gave me, I think, a real solid foundation in, in photojournalism, um, and it just kind of helped me find my voice and style a little bit more. And now, were you considering yourself like a, a like a journalist or like an artist, or or was there any like photographers that you were looking to, or you just wanted to be like that was kind of your part of the scene that you were the one doing the documentary? Well, that my motives have changed throughout the years. I think when I was fifteen or sixteen, I would have said I'm just the the guy who's into the music that takes some photos, you know. And then, mm-hmm. depending on what community I'm in, uh, I guess that might change a little bit. But now that I've done this. Um, you know, released a few different books in a few different communities. And so what was the first community that you really felt like a part of or you wanted to document? Well, I did small projects about like truckers in Texas and other things that I haven't oh, published really? much of. Yeah, way back. But my, the first one that's really known about was the um, what turned into the true Norwegian black metal book. Yeah, because that's I mean, that's a famous everyone knows that book, I think. You know, that's a classic, <laughs> classic. But it's just interesting how like a guy from Texas, Houston, like how you you navigated this and like, do, do you have family or do you have anyone that was influencing you or like, no. how did you 
find this path? How yeah. did you get this route? Like, it's a kind of a yeah, interesting. That's route. weird. I've always dug into underground music ever since I was like seven or eight. You know, I mean, oh, I find really? yeah, really young. I'd find, hear the '80s hair metal stuff on through M, you know MTV and like the glossy magazines at the grocery store would have that stuff. Yeah. You know? So I didn't have any older siblings, so that's kind of how I got into it. I'd go to the tape store and be like, "Whoa, this looks extreme!" You know, an eight or nine year old and. You know, your friends will do the same thing, and then before you know it, you're kind of like trading tapes and kind of into this, as, yeah. you know, as a pre preteen basically. So um, it started out with heavy metal for me uh, at that age, and then I got more into the like goth, industrial, punk, hardcore, and all these other sort of scenes that I've been in. in and now, was years. there anything like locally in Houston that was like really influential to you that you were like, you, I love this band, or that? This- uh, not really. I mean, now I don't see it that way. I mean, there were bands that were really kind of maybe important when I was a. 15 year old but there's unknown tiny local bands that yeah <laughs> so then you were, you graduated and you were involved with music and this was your passion you know and you were thirsty for more and then how did you start doing the black metal well right after i finished college i was thinking you know what am i going to do now wasn't really sure i was interested peripherally in black metal and i found the whole story the norwegian black metal story itself um very fascinating it i is. had recently read the lords of chaos book again this is in two about 2000, you know, so there wasn't that much info out there as far as for outsiders to find information. So um, I had a basic idea, like it would be really cool to make a book or just a project on this fascinating subculture over there that we know so little about relatively, I mean, at least back then. Yeah, there was just so much mythology attached to it. And I've always been kind of drawn to Scandinavian culture and metal culture. And so basically six months out of college I went and lived with my parents for almost a year saved up money and just went to Norway for I guess five or six weeks my first time I didn't, oh, know, really? didn't know anybody there you know it was before social media you just cold called Norway and, and basically you know I had my little notebook with all the hostels I'd stay at and contact people and there's you know I had email addresses for certain people I had made and what like, bands were you like what were the Norwegian bands you like was it Burzum uh, Burzum, he, uh, Varg was in prison the whole time that I was going over there all the years. But uh, my first connections there were Enslaved and Gorgoroth, oh, wow. you know, which were pretty like they're great bands from Bergen. And, you know, it's a small community. So if I guess the first few liked me and t- introduced me to others and slowly built relationships and traveled around. And then one year later, did the same thing for another month. And then I'm like, oh, I'm starting to get a body of work here. And then by that point, um, I had taken a few of the well known pictures and the labels and the magazines in that scene started funding my trips there to make it possible, you know? So I did that for a few more years and took several more trips and it turned into a book and And, Vice put it out in 2008. And how were you funding yourself to do this in the beginning? Well, in the beginning, like I said, I saved up money by living with my folks, uh, you know, had a few grand and back lived really tight over there. And your folks were like, you're like, I'm, going, you, I'm yeah. going to Norway. Yeah. I'm take pictures of the death metal band. Right. So I was supposed like, to start my new job fresh okay, out of so. college, and then I go do that instead. And people kind of look at me weird, you know. But, you know, it worked out pretty well. And, um, yeah, so the next, over the next four or five years, I go back several times. And you were really, the, you are the, like, you're the one that really, like, captured that scene. Like, there was no one else really documenting that scene. I mean, the, the information you're probably getting beforehand was, like, from back album covers or right like yeah like the only that. photos that existed with the promo photos were basically someone's friend would snap a few photos of the band and, yeah but there to my knowledge there wasn't one person that had um documented the the scene as a whole or multiple artists so yeah it was a big challenge for me to try to like 
this kid from Texas, who the hell is he? Like, why would it be me that would get that job, so to speak? But yeah. it just kind of organically happened, I guess. And so then you went over there to Norway, you just, and then you, you had a few contacts, and then you, how, how long did you spend there? Uh, the first trip, I remember I was there for five weeks uh, in 2002, and then in 2003, one year later, was there for four or five weeks again. Uh, I know, it's kind of crazy long, yeah. <laughs> the backpacking days, you know. Crazy. And so then your idea was to do a book? Ideally, yeah. It was like my fantasy. I didn't know how, how that would happen, you know. And at the time, I was shooting a little bit for Vice, you know, in the early 2000s. And they had just started Vice Books. And I was like, hey, mm-hmm. look at this I got. You know, and then it just happened real quick. And they, they released it. But uh, it was kind of like my little baby. And then I, you know, show it to – that's how I always do these projects. I try to self-fund them and do, do it my own way on my own time. And then take an almost finished body of work. Well, it's interesting because you you are like part artist, part journalist, part documentarian. You know, like how would you classify yourself? Ah, that's hard. I mean, documentarian, I guess. I don't know. It sounds arrogant. You know, I'm an autist or something. But But then after this, then you went and did Houston rap. Yeah, that was those bled over a few years actually. So I was kind of switching back and forth. um, So when you would go back to Houston, you would do. I'd spend, you know, a few weeks in Norway and then um, go back home to New York where I was living at the time and then go down to Houston and have adventures down there. A lot of my family was down there, so I'd go visit my family and spend a few extra days in um, some of these neighborhoods in Houston that are sort of famous for their rappers, I guess you could say. Well, I mean, the one thing about you, you definitely have a keen sense of discovery. Like you're finding out these things before it's on the wider audience knows about it because it was like you were documenting all like, you know, this the screw culture of, you know, before it became a mainstay and everybody knew, yeah. what, you know, uh, yeah, I started shooting and everything like that. Right. And you were documenting that, but it's also interesting that you were doing, you know, these two crazy divergent cultures like Northern Norway and South Houston yeah. at the same time that like, you know, could you get more far apart, you know? Yeah. Or, but not, but, but not, yeah. I mean, like I said, I grew up in, in Houston or just outside of Houston in the burbs. And, um, you know, I actually had an easier time and fit in a lot better halfway around the world in Norway than I did in my own backyard, so to speak. There was a lot more challenges. I mean, I think it may have been hard to gain trust of some of the Norwegians, but there was never any outright danger or, yeah. you know, anything like that there. Yeah. It was pretty, really tame. Well, I mean, the thing is, is they kind of have these like images, these mythical, both those scenes of like, yeah, like there's certain definitely like strong masculine guns and yeah and, and, violence, and violence and all these things yeah warlords and yeah, yeah. And all those but at the same time it's like they're kind of closed scenes and like how do you gain the trust how do you get into such like tight-knit communities because you also you want to be honest with your photography yeah. right you yeah. want to you want to show the truth sure so you don't want it to look like you want it to feel and people can sense that so like yeah how do I, you how do you do that i guess uh, it i think time. yeah i think i just like with those two cases at least the black metal in houston uh, i think they could tell that i had honest intentions you know that i wasn't like mm-hmm. trying to exploit them or tell the story that's going to make me the most money the quickest um you know i kept the photos under wraps for a long time and it was just sort of you know, and I built personal relationships with them, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, that's that's my best guess. How did I do that? I don't know. I just like I had a genuine interest in both of these worlds. I f- had a really strong feeling that, you know, there are both really important times and places that needed to be documented, you know, mm-hmm. and just well, that, did it. <laughs> when we did the Houston rap show, I mean, you, that one was at the MLK Club. 
there was these huge clubs where it was like 4,000 people like just coming together. And it was like, what was that? Like in Houston? Uh, the Houston club, I mean, it's huge club scene. You know, it'd be like uh, a huge old grocery store building, you know, hollowed out with three or 4,000 people. And wild DJs and rappers would, you know, start performing at like, you know, 1.45 in the morning or something, you know, crazy ass parties. And I would usually be brought to these places by one of the DJs or someone that I was tight with. And they would announce me over the speaker, you know, like the photographer from New York is in, in the building, you know, like oh, really? treat him okay, that kind of thing, you know. And I never yeah. had problems in those environments, which was really cool. And because it was uh, wild, I, let's just right? say it I stood was out wild. Like a sore thumb. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, wild. you got everyone listening to this podcast has to go and get on the internet and Google his photos from Norwegian black metal and Houston rap, so that you can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. Because when you see these photos, like Peter is in there, yeah, <laughs> he is pretty, in there. He's like, gritty. he's like, yeah, it is like. Amazing, because he's such a nice guy. Like, and the and the images are classic images, and it's crazy. But it's like at the same time, it's not like anybody. I couldn't just walk in there and like I get that kind of access. That's what I mean. It's like that must have taken a lot of like time and trust and and confidence, and at the same time, like people be comfortable around you to be themselves. Yeah, and I didn't go in there like a fanboy trying to get autographs and pictures with my favorite artists or something because that yeah. dynamic never works and they won't respect that, you know? Yeah. So again, I just approached it with sort of like an honest open-mindedness and to let them sort of guide me where... Were you surprised like how big like DJ Screw and like, I mean, Beyonce had a, like a Screw track, like it became everywhere. Like, were you surprised or or you just... Knew that was good. Well, I mean, that he is like the voice of the South. I mean, and uh, he passed away in 2000, so that was four years before I ever took pictures there. So it was obviously I'm not responsible for like bringing Screw to the masses yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. He was having he was had the international game on lock yeah. before he was while he was still alive. But um, yeah, I definitely helped promote it and spread it. And it was it's so huge in the South and so all encompassing that it only you know it just translates to other peoples and cultures and places. You know. Who were some people that you kind of got close to? Or you really respected in that in that in UGK uh, in, in Houston? Yeah, Bun B from UGK. I mean, and Pimp. You know, rest yeah. in peace. Uh, Bun's a great friend. A lot of the guys from South Park Coalition, which was the one of the first rap crews from Houston in the early '80s. They um, that's actually who I started with when I first approached that scene. Mm-hmm. The uh, the sort of like unsung hero OGs that aren't really known outside the hood, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. they have the classic stuff from the early '90s, but they're not getting the modern day Paul Wall, Mike Jones money kind of yeah. guys, you know, the OGs. And um, yeah, the list goes on. Zero, uh, Devin the Dude, those are a couple of my favorite. Yeah, what are, what, are you, what are a couple of your favorite photos? I thought you were going to ask me about rap albums. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to answer I that question. Get, <laughs> well, I'll answer that first because that just popped in my head. Um, probably UGK Riding Dirty is my number yeah. one favorite Southern rap album that never gets old. Or uh, a lesser known one that also really suggests a Dead End Alliance or DEA. Yeah. That was uh, DJ Screw's group with Fat Pat and Hawk, both of who are no longer with us. And uh, they did a classic record back, I don't know, late 90s. But um, my favorite photos from that scene, that's hard. I mean, there's the iconic ones, like the one of Dope E leaning out of the window of the Black Panther headquarters with the oh, rifle. Oh, yeah, that you one's know? great. Like really over-the-top ones yeah. or like ESG pouring up the syrup with that look on his face. Oh, you yeah. Know? Which has been in a million memes and like, yeah, you know, homemade hood T-shirts ever since. Which is, I mean, you had that you must sometimes catch by surprise seeing that one pop up. And so then that took on a life of its own after two. And so then you, at this time you were living in New York City, traveling and stuff. Yeah. And then how did this new project come about? 
Well, um, there was a couple of other things, but we'll skip to Defenders. Um, I guess it was 2015, I got a gig shooting the 70,000 tons of metal cruise to the Bahamas, you know, a cruise from Florida to the Bahamas. Never been on a cruise ship before. And ah, what the hell, I'll go do shoot a metal thing I hadn't done in a few years. It, it was a fun. And then while I was on board, um, of course, there was a lot of vests. There's always been a lot of vests around. So these are like a heavy metal cruise ship? Yeah, with like 3,000 people on board. And, and, you know, it turned out to be an amazing experience. But um, aside from that, basically on board, I was like, yeah, it'd be cool to make a book of just these detailed shot, you know, like almost a still life photography of these like cool cultural relics, these filthy crusted vests, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I started, ah, I guess I'll do it. And I kind of got back into the metal community with my photos and reached out to people and started shooting just vests. And then I quickly realized oh, I really need to include the people too, because, you know, they're so interesting to look at and so mm-hmm. charismatic and it's just, it's part of it. Um, if I, if I were to kept with just vests, it would have probably been a little too stale. I love know? that one shot that now that I know it was a cruise because I was looking at it yesterday and I was like, there's a guy and he's like, on a deck on the boat, and he has a, uh, yeah, and he has that hat says wasted. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah perfect moment. I mean, and then this took you all over the world too. As you got into this, you were documenting scenes from like yeah. I focused mostly on Europe and the states, and found the best metal festivals, the best in terms of vests, because that was my still my focus, mm-hmm. even though I had expanded it. So I quickly learned about. Keep It True, which is a great festival in, in rural Germany, old school traditional heavy metal festival and a bunch of older dudes, old school vests. And then the other great was Muscle Rock in Sweden, which is the greatest festival I'd probably been to. And photo opportunities were incredible. And then a bunch of festivals around the States and a bunch of, uh, I did a little touring, I guess, a couple years ago and went and hung out with um, metal people in various towns and did sort of shots in that environment. They aren't all photographed at festivals, in other words. So how long did this project take you then? Uh, I shot on and off from for three years, 2015 till last year, and then found a publisher, was introduced to Sacred Bones, the fantastic label from Brooklyn. They were interested in it, and we've been working on it together ever since. I worked with the same editor, Johan Kugelberg, this guy who's edited all four of my books. And, yeah, great uh, job. He does an amazing job. Yeah, he's, uh, he's fantastic. He really helps. You know, I get real tunnel vision, like documenting these scenes for so long, you know, where I'm kind of so focused on one little part of it or... or mm-hmm. And he sort of helps pull me back and see a bigger picture when editing a book and like helps trim the fat. We threw together an edit. Sacred Bones loved it. And they've been incredible to work with. And they made a book I'm real happy with. The uh, chronological order of your books. True right? Norwegian Black Metal, Houston Rap, and then uh, a Norwegian-only release called Dan- Dance With Me in English, but Dance Med Meg, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> it's about the uh, Scandinavian dance band culture, which is like a hillbilly Scandinavian phenomenon about camping and traveling and country western type of stuff it's really how weird. did you get into that uh, one of the black metal guys told me about it saying like if you want to see something really satanic in norway check this out <laughs> like he wasn't he didn't mean it literally but like he meant like dark hillbilly stuff you know and like i wouldn't necessarily say that's the case but well i don't want to offend anybody but you know <laughs> so uh, i got funding from um, a rock and roll museum in norway because this is a huge phenomenon over there but nobody in the states knew about it i said i wanted to document it so norway's first rock museum funded me to go and spend some time over there so i was doing that a bit during those years as well and that book came out just over a year ago wow. uh, on a norwegian publisher so that was three and now this defender and have you four. done exhibits around all the books yeah so going from all these different things you know now to kind of get a, like a wider perspective like you kind of delve into all these different genres and people and languages and cultures and diverse group of people like does it make you hopeful 
what are things that you, you take from it that like share some wisdom with us? Well, I don't know if it leaves me with any sort of wisdom in terms of humanity, but I mean, for me, I love the fact that like different communities can still exist relatively independently within this like massive grid of a society that we find ourselves in. You know, there's still, whether independent thought or, you know, creative artistic expression, people doing their own thing and not really influenced by trends or the Hollywood stuff. And so anyway, that makes me hopeful that there are like really thriving underground scenes. And uh, that in despite of dis- all this mass culture, like it's exactly. true when we were young there, you get one video on Friday night and you would look at and yeah. or you'd have to like go to the magazine stores and you would have one picture you had and to you'd work have for it and you'd have to work for it. And now it's like, you can tell me some crazy Norwegian Scandinavian hillbilly dance music scene. And I can go like Google it now yeah. and go, Oh, this That's is what it. it is. I can see the, and you know, and it would take you a long time. And it's, is true. I think it is maybe now because we're so overexposed, people almost want to hold things more to themselves. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. People, uh, I think some people might resent the fact that they can, someone can with one night of Googling can be like, you know, know all the traditional heavy metal albums from the past few years or whatever it may be, you know what I mean? And act like an expert. I don't know. I think it's, uh, but I mean, that's why your job is so important. And I feel like, and to me, it's also art. You are an artist to me, you're an artist because you're also like capturing like the emotion, the vision. I mean, there's also like there's the music, but there's also the fashion. I mean, like, you know, the, whether it's a Houston scene or it's the Norwegian, like with the face paint and all that kind of crazy stuff. I mean, and now with the vest, I mean, these are artifacts to people like they yeah. this is like the, the you know, the most important piece of art that takes them 10 years and they're like priceless to them. Yeah, they I mean, hence sell the it. Defenders of the Faith name. There's a real like religious like, you know significance to the vest specifically, but even just to heavy metal culture Mm -hmm. more broadly, you know. Yeah, it's a community I love being part of. And this, I mean, even though I've done two books sort of in the heavy metal umbrella, they're completely different. Because again, this is focused around more of a fashion with actual detail shots of vests. But the people that are in there, it's just more of a traditional heavy metal vibe, you know. Mm -hmm. There's very little... There's no corpse paint. Well, and I take that back. There's one or two pictures with that. But for the most part, it's a lot more lighthearted, you know, and almost like... Dare I say fashion oriented? I've, even yeah. though I hate to say that because I I'm not a fashion I mean, photographer. But, I've never been. Able, it's not my thing at all. But but it, fashion is a part of it. You know what I mean? That's how we kind of you know when you first if you're out in the wild and you see a peacock, I'm another peacock. You're like, oh, you look good. You know? It's yeah. like yeah, that's yeah. how we do it. So yeah, for sure. But it is interesting, and I think it is super important. And it's also nice that you have this honest. And it's like we need you know all this like fake news and fake all this stuff. I think it's important that you're giving these honest opinions, like you're coming from like a level eye, like a kind of loving eye, but at the same time, a non-judgmental eye. And that's why I even think it was cool last night. You know, we're, we do pretty divergent shows and it was cool to see people that aren't familiar with that scene, seeing it for their first time too. And people would appreciate the level of like commitment that goes into these vests and stuff. Like even if you didn't know anything about the music or anything at all, you'd still appreciate, you yeah. know. They're definitely artifacts, even to people that don't own them. Because I mean, yeah, yeah, they're um, some of them can keep you staring for twenty minutes, seeing new details and all this. I mean, they're almost mm-hmm. like you know folk art objects. You know, mm-hmm. they're just like the handmade clothing of the heavy metal tribe of the twenty first century. I know, you know as like a <laughs> no, future sociologist or anthropologist might say. You know, exactly. So the Smithsonian or something like that. It yeah, would be, yeah. There are academic institutions that do collect this stuff. Um, I, UCLA, for example, I know has a somewhat of a heavy metal collection. I'm not sure how mm-hmm. large it is, but 
Uh, they unearthed an old Iron Maiden vest for me a few years back and let me photograph oh, really? it for the book. So they have old Iron Maiden battle vest. In oh, their by collection. the way, he got a uh, custom drawing uh, of Eddie in, on his vest from the, uh, what's the artist's name? Uh, Derek Riggs, the guy who invented Iron Maiden's Eddie character. He was, uh, I saw him in San Diego at the swap meet yesterday. And yeah, <laughs> that was pretty sweet. That was amazing. And then what about, what about the Houston rap? Has like any institutions ever approach you about it yeah uh university of houston um like purchased the houston rap archive actually because bumby's a professor there right yeah he's a professor at rice so that okay that had nothing to do with it but university of houston already had a fine arts library that had they brought me into it and showed me next to an original king james bible was an original screw tape you know in a climate controlled room so (laughs) this is years ago the librarian was like we're really trying to you know document houston and rap culture and screw culture and so this is when we were talking about, and I realized, man, they, this is who needs to have my archive. The yeah. stuff that I've been collecting through the years of shooting. You know, I collected all the cassette tapes and the f- flyers oh, for all the hood that, events and all. Yeah, the, when we did the oh, show, yeah, that yeah. was the best. That was the best to have all that. And you know, we, a mutual friend Nikolai was there who uh, grew up in that, and just like people, were like, oh wow, because it is. I think even when we did uh, Maxine Walter with the dance hall signs from Jamaica, like it was like at the time. Then people, when they came to see the show, they're like, wait, this is art? Like, this, like these things, like, you know, where the parish would get paying people to destroy and wreck. And then people don't realize, like, it is important, you know, and it takes somebody like you to, like, collect it and cherish it and then present it in a right way. Yeah. And in a way that someone coming from a different background can appreciate it because, you know, the level, the, you know, sophistication in the presentation is really important. Yeah, now it's archived at university, so I don't have to worry about it disappearing, you know, which is cool. Um, I know Cornell has a big um, pop culture library and they own a Norwegian black metal archive that my editor put together, you know, so there's, wow. Um, I guess there's definitely interest in that world. So you now are still continuing, you have a family and you moved to Portland now. And so you do commercial work, like people might be familiar, you've done Freddie Gibbs album cover, what, Denzel Curry album cover. Not album cover, that was just a, uh, oh, a shoot, but shoot. yeah. Just, do a little bit of commercial work, shoot with bands, kind of do kind of my own little hustle, you know, whatever that may be, photo related. I have several ongoing projects. I'm not sure when will culminate into publication. And you still enjoy photography as your main medium. Yeah, I'm not really a video guy. Like I've, I've played with it a little bit here and there and it's not really my preferred mm-hmm. mode of communication. I'm not saying I won't ever. And what about the whole digital versus film? Uh, you know, I respect both. I love film, but this book is 95% shot digital. This most recent one, it's just, you know, the world, it's just gotten so expensive and prohibitively expensive and just, uh, but all the old days, of course, I was carrying a hundred rolls of film with me to Norway every, for that oh, really? six week <laughs> trip, you know, I'd come back the big bag of film to develop after it all, you know, the anticipation, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I miss that on some level, but then on the other hand, it's so nice to be able to do it fast. Well, I mean, the thing, and then just the luxury of just being able to, yeah, actually have 10,000 shots on you at mm-hmm. any one time. I mean, definitely analog technology is always going to be, there's always going to be some, that natural grain or that natural, like, warmth or something. Warmth yeah. and stuff that you're going to get. To the people listening, you really need to go look at some of the, the, the places he was shooting in Houston. And I just imagine, like, like there probably wasn't many people with cameras at that time oh, going no. to these spots. Like, how did they, did they think you were working for the newspaper or like, how? well, like I said, the DJs would announce my presence saying, you know, like Peter from New York's in town. And sometimes they would say he's making a book about Houston maybe, or make up different stuff. I remember one guy was like, uh, he's here with Rolling Stones magazine. I'm like, there's no such thing as Rolling Stones magazine, man. Or he said, or Rap-A-Lot, Rap-A-Lot magazine. I'm like, that's a record label. Don't lie to these people, man. You know, it's pretty funny, but <laughs> 
and then you would just you would be rolling in with your camera and yeah, and they thought like, hey, they would be more likely to pose for me. And in that yeah. environment, I mean, I never had any problems. I'm yeah. kind of surprised. I mean, in Houston in general, I did, but not in the nightclub environment, and especially the the after hours scene, which were. Of course, the nightclubs that didn't open until 2 a.m., and that's where yeah. the real gritty stuff went yeah. down. I won't even get into that. But uh, we couldn't include much of any of that in the book. Wow. Um, yeah, like no police present, just blunts yeah. going and the dollar bills flying, and you can imagine. So Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And, and then when you were in Norway, because you got the, a lot of candid shots, like it, it looks like in street these small little street little villages and, and, and the guys just out on the street, and then like were you – setting up these shots or were no they that just was like, like they were getting ready putting their makeup on in, inside one of their apartments and then ran to the car to drive off into the forest to do a photo shoot but that was like the one second where the dude stepped out of the house and like on the way to the car it wasn't yeah. posed in other words you know it's just that lady was walking by and it was like one of those i know because i mean it's crazy it's like all that viking culture and all that like nordic heritage where it's all kind of yeah like Showing the juxtaposition between like the the host society, so to I speak, know. and the crazy subculture is kind of a fun. And it isn't in like the happiest place on earth or something, right? I guess that's Denmark, or it's around yeah, there, yeah, right? they live well there. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Even those like shots when you follow up with I don't know who it was, but they went to we're in prison and then go visit him in the prison. The but Houston, looked, in Houston, you mean? No, no. This is in the Norwegian. Yeah, the Norwegian. I didn't think anybody in prison in Norway, okay. but I did in Houston. I remember maybe it was me looking up, and I was looking, and I didn't realize it was a prison because it looked so nice. Yeah, it looks like a youth center, <laughs> yeah, it was like, like PlayStation like, oh, and shit like in there. Like the Ikea. Uh, yeah, one know. of the guys that burned a church, one of the lesser-known guys told me, he said, after serving six months of good behavior for my sentence, they allowed me, my band members, to come in and practice with full electric instruments in jail. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty easy going. <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you. So uh, I hope people get to see this show. It's a, the show's great right now. And are you going to continue on, do some more exhibits with it? Yeah. So it's up till what, November 3rd? Is yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I got some um, metal uh, festivals I'm going to attend, going to join Idle Hands and King Diamond on the road for a few days oh, next wow. month, which I'm excited about. Finally got to meet the king. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was watching because I was uh, doing a little, you know, I was getting into the metal a bit. And so I was like, I always love King Diamond's logo. He's always so good. Yeah. I was watching this, what is it, the Monsters of Mayhem tour or something like that? It was like uh, in 83. Oh, <laughs> so <wow>. like <laughs> King Diamond's been around, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. And uh, any new projects, any books going to come up? or or I mean, you're always working on something, right? I'm always right? working on a few projects, but the next thing out, I think we're doing a, an expanded version, second edition of the Houston Rap Book with uh, oh. 30-something extra pages and a special edition release with some nice screw Egon. vinyl. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so that'll be next year sometime, not too far off. I love that book. I had to get it three times because it got stolen twice. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. I know. Just, it's uh, a hot commodity. It's been out of print for a long time, and I just I really want to, to keep it in print. So and I'm know. glad we're going to be able to make it you know, even fatter, so to speak. You know, And we can do another show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. I know you've got to get back to your family. Yeah, it's all good. Thank you guys for having me. It was a great time. Peter Best. Peace. You're listening to Brave New Views with Heavyweight Gallery.